Okay, so let's let's uh, keep going with the recap. So the world was created, um, and then the physical world was created by the Ainur, and then the Ainur that wanted to come down to uh, the planet uh, are called the Valar, and there are 14 of them, and then one of them named Melkor is evil, and he wants to basically rule over everything and all of the, the peoples in it, like the elves and the men, and that, uh, that doesn't go very well. So uh, the Valar fight against him. Uh, we also learn that um, with the creation of the world comes um, the creation of the dwarves and the Ents. That's a small chapter where we see uh, a, a uh, lesser god, one of the Valar named Aule, create the dwarves. And then Aule's wife, Yavanna, basically said, oh, well, I think the dwarves are probably going to need wood for their crafting. Um, but don't don't cut down my trees. And Aule says, well, they're, they're going to cut down your trees anyway. And so Yavanna gets very angry at her husband and says, okay, cool, I'm going to make sentient tree guardians, and that's how Ents are created. We also learned about Thingol and Melian. Uh, Thingol is an elf who fell in love with uh, one of the Maya, which is like one of the demigods. So there's three power levels we know of so far. There is Eru, god, um, the Valar and the Ainur, who are like the lesser gods, and then the Maya, who are like the um, the demigods. Think Percy Jackson, but they're bright. Um, <laughs> everyone's telling me to compose myself in the chat. Sorry, I'm a little I'm a little hyper, but thank you. So, um, Thingol and Melian. Thingol is an elf that fell in love with one of the Maya, Melian. They're going to come up later. Probably not right now, um, but they are important, and it bears mentioning again. We also learned about Eldamar and the princes of the Eldalay, or the Eldali, depending on uh, what pronunciation you'd like to go with. So we learned about uh, a lot of... It's basically just a, a giant wall of text that is a um, family tree. I'll mention the important ones as we go on, otherwise we'd be here forever. Anyway... Let's press on. Chapter 6 of the Silmarillion is of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor. So, when we last left off, Melkor um, was imprisoned by the Valar. Because the Valar were like, alright, the elves are here, we gotta make sure they're safe, let's fight against Melkor, the other evil Valar, and just throw him in, in not jail, but like another dimension. So, Chapter 6 Of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor Now the three kindreds of the Eldar were gathered at last in Valinor, and Melkor was chained. This was the noontime of the Blessed Realm, the fullness of its glory and its bliss, long in tale of years, but in memory too brief. In those days the Eldar became full-grown in stature of body and mind, and the Noldor advanced ever in skill and knowledge. A reminder, the Noldor are uh, a group of elves, and they are going to come up a lot, so remember the Noldor. Then it was that the Noldor first bethought them of letters, and Rumil of Tyrion was the name of the Loremaster, who first achieved fitting signs for the recording of speech and song. Some for graving upon metal or in stone, others for drawing with brush or with pen. So the elves are basically creating a written language. In that time was born 
in Eldamar, in the house of the king of Tyrion, upon the crown of Tuna, the eldest of the sons of Finway. Finway is one of the elven kings. The most beloved. Kuru Finway was his name, but by his mother he was called Theanor, the spirit of fire, and thus he is remembered in all the tales of the Noldor. Miriel was the name of his mother, who is called Sorinde because of her surpassing skill in weaving and needlework, for her hands were more skilled with Tufaness than any hands even among the Noldor. The love of Finway and Muriel was great and glad, for it began in the blessed realm in the days of bliss. But in the bearing of her son, Muriel was consumed in body and spirit, and after his birth she yearned for release from the labor of living. And when she had named him, she said to Finway, Never again shall I bear children, for strength that I would have nourished the life of many has gone forth into Feanor. Then Finway grieved, for the Noldor were in the youth of their days, and he desired to bring forth many children into the bliss of Amon. Amon is another name for the Undying Lands. And he said, Surely there is healing in Amon. Here all weariness can find rest. But when Muriel languished still, Finway sought the counsel of Manwe. Manwe is the head of the Valar, the lesser gods. And Manwe delivered her to the care of Irmo in Lorien. At their parting, for a little while, as he thought, Finway was sad, for it seemed an unhappy chance that the mother should depart and miss the beginning, at least, of the childhood days of her son. It is indeed unhappy, said Muriel, and I would weep if I were not so weary. But hold me blameless in this, and in all that may come after. She went then to the gardens of Lorien, and lay down to sleep. But though she seemed to sleep, her spirit indeed departed from her body, and passed in silence to the halls of Mandos. I'll pause very briefly there for a quick explanation. I'll also answer some questions. TikTok folks, if you are interested, I will be taking questions from people on my Twitch. The link is in my bio. Feel free to leave some questions down in the Twitch below. Um, so what we just saw was the birth of Feanor, one of the more important elves in all of Tolkien's history that he wrote. Uh, and his mother, basically in, in um, giving birth to him, poured a lot of power into um, giving birth to him. And I think that's very indicative of how much power he had. And I also want to make mention of something called the Halls of Mandos, where Feanor's mother, Muriel, goes. So the Halls of Mandos are a place where the, um, the elves go when their physical bodies, when they die from their physical bodies. But they don't die in the same sense that men do. Their physical body... Um, dies, but their spirit, their, their, the, the fire within them, their soul, if you will, goes to a place called the Halls of Mandos, which is a physical location beyond the Undying Lands, where one of the Valar um, basically watches over their souls. And after their souls have had time to heal, they can come back into their bodies if they so choose. Not all of them do. In fact, we really only see one elf do it between the First Age and the Third Age uh, from the original trilogy. We're going to meet that elf in this book, the Silmarillion. His name is Glorfindel, 
he is also the one that rescues Frodo um, in the books from the Nazgul. So, Charlations, she died from childbirth. Um, yes, from childbirth, but also it's, it's more than childbirth. She, she gave all of herself, I think, her, her spirit, her body, her soul, all of her sort of magical power, in a way, went into this. So, kind of, yeah, in a way. Was there no writing before the elves invented it? No, Lord, and I, I, uh, I don't believe there was. The, the elves were the first ones to, uh, to invent it. Harold Tim, thank you for the sub. Also, I've got some new followers to thank. Thank you, Moretti, for the follow. Big CK, thank you for the follow. Kuzo, thank you for the follow. Michael Davies, thank you for the follow. Um, thanks again to Nord Table and Lorden for the, uh, for the gift subs. Very kind of you. Is it true that magic in Lord of the Rings isn't magic, just how hobbits view things they can't comprehend? So, uh, Sabbath, not exactly. Um, magic does exist in Tolkien's universe, but it's not like a set magic system. There is power in different things, right? There are power in runes. There are powers in items. There are powers in words. And that is... Um, that plays a big part in the first age and the second age. When the third age comes along, there's not nearly as much um, to go on. Like, the, the, the power of the elves has left Middle-earth. Men are taking over, and men don't have any magical powers um, granted to them. Um, so, yeah, it's not exactly what the hobbits can't comprehend, but rather there's less of it. And also, keep in mind, the hobbits are, you know, a little bit xenophobic. They don't... Um, go venture outside of their lands. So they don't know a lot. They don't know a lot. Um, so when half-elves choose a side, do they get to choose which afterlife they get? So, nerd table, uh, we are going to get a couple of half-elves in this story, um, and not all half-elves get to choose. Only uh, specific ones from the lines. Um, <laughs> thank you, honey. My wife just gifted a sub. Thank you. Um... So they don't necessarily get, to, not all of them get to choose. Some do. Um, the two originally being um, a, an elf named Luthien. And then later on, Elrond's dad gets a choice. Um, that's at the very end of the Silmarillion, though. So I don't want to spoil too much about that. But that's a more or less well-known thing. Um, Sabbath. So essentially her life force. Muriel's life force. Yeah, think of it like her life force. Oh, thanks for coming, Harold. Tim, I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind comment. Um, you, Len says, you can't remember, but when I said there was something in the core of Middle-earth that nobody knew what it was. Oh, okay, so um, this uh, is something from the Third Age. There is something called the Nameless Things, and the Nameless Things are creatures that have created these tunnel systems underneath Middle-earth. Parts of Middle-earth are, like, basically hollow, or, like, they look like an anthill underground, but, like, through a lot of the mountains and such. Um, but we don't know what those nameless things are. They might be Balrogs. They might be um, the giant worms we see in the, uh, in the um, Hobbit movies. They, they might be any number of things. Okay, so I'm going to uh, keep going. I'm uh, just going to real quick let everyone... Hey, everyone on TikTok. Um, I'm reading on Twitch, and the audio and video quality are better. Come join us. The link is in my bio. Let's continue. 
So when we last left off, Muriel had just passed on to the halls of Mandos. All of his love, so uh, Feanor's father, Finway, all of his love he gave thereafter to his son, and Feanor grew swiftly, as if a secret fire were kindled in him. He was tall and fair of face and masterful, his eyes piercing bright and his hair raven dark, in the pursuit of all his purposes, eager and steadfast. Few ever changed his course by counsel and none by force. He became of all the Noldor, then and after, the most subtle of mind and most skilled of hand. In his youth, bettering the work of Rumil, he devised those letters which bear his name and which the Eldar used ever after. And he it was who, first of the Noldor, discovered how gems greater and brighter than those of the earth might be made with skill. The first gems Feanor made were white and colorless, but being set under starlight they would blaze with blue and silver fires brighter than Hilluin. And other crystals he made also, wherein things far away could be seen small but clear, as with the eyes of the eagles of Manwe. Seldom were the hands and minds of Feanor at rest. So, we think, I think at least, that the Palantiri, the seeing stones, the one that Pippin picked up, or the one that Saruman had in the movies, I think that is a description of what those are. Other crystals he made wherein he could see things far away, small but clear. To me, those are the Palantir, the, the seeing stones. So that's a nice little uh, Easter egg there. Oh, are we on a hype train? Oh, thank you. Very nice. Oh, Lorden, thank you for the gift sub. Very kind of you. Also, want to give a very quick shout out in the uh, chat to Sarah, who uh, posted our logo, who is uh, which is right here. Hello, Chilmarils. And the link to her Instagram is in the chat. Please go show her some love. Let's keep it going. While still in his early youth, he wedded Nerdanel, the daughter of a great smith named Matan, among those of the Noldor most dear to Aule. And of Matan he learned much of the making of things in metal and stone. Nerdanel also was firm of will, but more patient than Feanor, to, desiring to understand minds rather than to master them. And at first she restrained him when the fire of his heart grew too hot. But his later deeds grieved her, and they became estranged. Seven sons she bore to Feanor. Her mood she bequeathed in part to some of them, but not all. Now it came to pass that Finway took as his second wife Indis the Fair. She was a Vanya, close kin of Ingwe, who is another High Elf. The High Elf. <laughs> I clarify it, and then Tolkien does it himself. Golden-haired and tall, and in all ways unlike Muriel. Finway loved her greatly, and was glad again. But the shadow of Muriel did not depart from the house of Finway, nor from his heart, and of all whom he loved Feanor had ever the chief share of his thought. The wedding of his father was not pleasing to Feanor, and he had no great love for Indus, nor of Fingolfin and Finarfin, her sons. He lived apart from them, exploring the lands of Amon, Amon is the Undying Lands, or busying himself with the knowledge and crafts in which he delighted, 
In those unhappy things which later came to pass, and in which Feanor was the leader, many saw the effects of this breach within the house of Finway, judging that if Finway had endured his loss and been content with the fathering of his mighty son, the courses of Feanor would have been otherwise, and great evil might have been prevented. For the sorrow and strife of the house of Finway is graven in the memory of the Noldorian elves. But the children of Indus, that's Fingolfin and Finarfin, but the children of Indus were great and glorious, and their children also. And if they had not lived, the history of the Eldar would have been diminished. So I'm going to take a uh, quick break here, take some questions on uh, Twitch. Feel free to write them down in the comments if you so choose. Anyone on TikTok with a question, feel free to check out the link and write your questions in Twitch. That's where I'll be taking it. Um, let's see. Here we got. You love reading, hearing this read out loud? You know what? I think the Silmarillion is meant to be read out loud. It is one of those things, or at least heard audibly. It is one of those stories that the the craft the, the the penmanship and just the write not the penmanship the writing is just so beautiful and you can't like you can't quite grasp it if it's not flowery speech oh lorden thank you again for the gift sub very kind of you very kind of you so um Tolkien cared a lot about oral storytelling. Yeah, he did. He really did. A lot of his, a lot of his best, uh, I think, most popular videos on YouTube are of him reading itself. Could I say the line about the One Ring to bind them in the smooth jazz voice? <laughs> maybe, maybe after we're done this chapter. Yeah, I could probably do that. Yeah. Are there any more of the tentacled monster that live outside the doors of Doran at Moria? Okay, so um, that's probably having to do with the nameless things. Um, potentially, yes. So there are underground lakes um, that are there um, underneath the Mines of Moria and underneath uh, Middle-earth. Um, and it's possible that there are more like it. But that thing is called the Watcher in the Water. It's sort of a Kraken primordial, if you will. Um Do I have a favorite story from the Silmarillion? Yes, I do. It's called uh, The Tale of Baron and Luthien. And it is chapter... Hang on, I want to find it. Chapter 19. So we are still quite a ways off, but it is my favorite chapter. That might be one of the longer chapters that I split into two parts because it is about 25 pages. All right, let's keep it going. So, Feanor just got married... And his father also just got remarried, and Feanor doesn't like his stepmom or stepbrothers. I wonder if this will lead to any family strife. Even now, while Feanor and the craftsmen of the Noldor worked with delight, foreseeing no end to their labor, and while the sons of Indus grew to their full stature, the noontide of Valinor was drawing to its close. For it came to pass that Melkor, as the Valar had decreed, completed the term of his bondage. So the evil Valar, Melkor, has just completed his time in jail. Dwelling for three ages in the duress of Mandos alone. At length, as Manwe had promised, he was brought again before the throne of the Valar, and he looked upon them 
upon their glory and their bliss, and envy was in his heart. He looked upon the children of Iluvatar, the elves, that sat at the feet of the mighty, and hatred filled him. And he looked upon the wealth of bright gems, and he lusted for them. But he hid his thoughts and postponed his vengeance. Before the gates of Valmar, Melkor abased himself at the feet of Manwe and sued for pardon. So he's asking for forgiveness, vowing that if he might be made only the least of the free people of Valinor, he would aid the Valar in all of their works, and most of all the healing of the many hurts that he had done to the world. And Nienna aided his prayer, but Mandos was silent. So you'll remember Nienna is one of the Valar, and, Ni and Mandos is another one of the Valar. Mandos is very serious. When Mandos speaks, it usually means bad things are happening. Then Manwe granted him pardon, but the Valar would not yet suffer him to depart beyond their sight and vigilance, and he was constrained to dwell within the gates of Valmar. But fair-seeming were all the words and deeds of Melkor in that time, and both the Valar and the Eldar had profit from his aid and counsel, if they sought it. And therefore, in a while, he was given leave to go freely about the land, and it seemed to Manwe that the evil of Melkor was cured, for Manwe was free from evil and could not comprehend it. And he knew that in the beginning, in the thought of Iluvatar, Melkor had been even as he, and he saw not the depths of Melkor's heart, and did not perceive that all love had departed from him forever. But Ulmo, who was basically the uh, Poseidon, the water god, the water lesser god of the Valar, but Ulmo was not deceived, and Tulkas, who was another of the Valar, the strong burly one. And Tulkas clenched his hands whenever he saw Melkor, his foe, go by. But if Tulkas was slow to wrath, he is slow also to forget. And they obeyed the judgment of Manwe. For those who will defend authority against rebellion must not themselves rebel. I love that line. Absolutely love that line. Now in his heart, Melkor hated most the Eldar, because both they were fair and joyful, and because in them he saw the reason for the arising of the Valar and his own downfall. Which is true. The Valar basically fought Melkor and threw him in jail because they were worried about what Melkor would try to do to the elves and, like, subjugate them. The Vanyar indeed held him in... Oh, excuse me. I missed a sentence. Therefore, all the more did he feign love for them and seek their friendship, and he offered them the service of his lore and labor in any great deed that they would do. The Vanyar indeed held him in suspicion, for they dwelt in the light of the trees and were content, and to the Teleri he gave small heed, thinking them of little worth, tools too weak for his design. But the Noldor took delight in the hidden knowledge that he could reveal to them, and some hearkened to words that would have been better for them never to have heard. Melkor indeed declared afterwards that Feanor had learned much art from him in secret, and had been instructed by him in the greatest of all his works. But he lied in his lust and his envy, for none of the Eldalay ever hated Melkor more than Feanor, son of Finwë who first named him Morgoth, and snared though he was in the webs of Melkor's malice against the Valar, 
He held no converse with him, and took no counsel from him, for Feanor was driven by the fire of his own heart only, working ever swiftly and alone. And he asked the aid and sought the counsel of none that dwelt in Amon, small or great, save only, and for a little while, of Nerdanel, the wise, his wife. That is the end of chapter six. So that is the introduction of Feanor, one of the most powerful elves to ever exist, and of Melkor, the uh, unchaining of him. I'll take a couple of questions now on Twitch. TikTok folks, if you are still watching, feel free to follow along on Twitch. I'll answer some questions there as well. Um, we should, Beer and Wings says we should make a sticker of what we have on screen. Maybe. Um, <laughs> what does Melkor look like at this point? Um, so it's kind of unclear what Melkor looks like at this point. He changes, he's able to change form. It's possible that he looks like other Valar. The Valar took a, uh, took, um, a bunch of the forms that look like elves, but they're more grandiose and they look like, you know, like a humanoid lesser god would in any of the, you know, call it, you know, Fire Emblem or um, any of the um, gods from... I, I immediately think of Fire Emblem when I think of the Valar, if any of you play Fire Emblem. Oh, Rightful Pancakes, thank you for the follow. Oh, and Chuck for you, thank you. Um, so Melkor... Yes, Melkor is the bad guy, River. Sorry if I didn't say that already. Yes, Melkor is the bad guy. He is the, the antagonist of the series. Um, he is the evil Valar who wants to basically dominate the will of others and uh, rule over them. Not kindly, I might add. So we're not really sure what he looks like. So you can kind of think of him, if you will, as like a, um, a an elf-looking creature, but maybe a little bit more evil-looking. I always kind of picture him as like a Tom Hiddleston, Loki-looking character. Um, who is he in regards to Morgoth? So Morgoth and Melkor are the same person. They have a different name. Uh, they have different names, and Melkor gets named Morgoth. We're actually coming up to that, um, probably in a couple of chapters. Um, he is known as Morgoth later on, though. Uh, not right now. There's Something happens, and someone names him Morgoth for a reason. I, I kind of said that a couple of times ago, but, or a couple of uh, videos ago. Um, but yes, nerd, you are absolutely right. Melkor is the OG bad guy. Absolutely correct. SMV, you got your dad addicted to TikToks by showing him my videos? Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Sabbath of Fire, can we get that logo on a shirt? Now there's something. By the way, for those interested in the logo, uh, the link to the artist that did it, her name is Sarah. Please go check her out on Instagram. She is absolutely wonderful. The link is in the chat. Uh, we will also probably post it in, let's post it in the Discord as well um, later on. I'll, I'll post that in announcements in case anyone wants to. Um, did Feanor learn from Melkor? So Melkor says he taught Feanor. And Feanor says, I didn't take any advice from him. I am of the opinion, Charlations, that Melkor said that he taught uh, Feanor, but I 
don't believe he actually did. I believe Melkor is lying, and I, I believe Feanor. I don't like believing Feanor, because Feanor is not necessarily um, the best dude, but we'll, we'll see. Anyway, I am going to very uh, quickly try and move on to Chapter 7, because we got through that one pretty quickly, actually. Um, it's a lot easier to read the further in you go to the Silmarillion, which is why I think we're going to start speeding up a little bit and getting through maybe two chapters at a time. Because the preface and the beginning of days and the creation story, it's, a, it's thick, dense reading. And now we get a little bit more like we understand, oh, hey, that's Feanor. That's his wife. So, yeah. Um, did Amon Hen get its name after Amon? Okay, so um, the, that question is kind of a spelling thing. So Amon Hen is um, one of the towers in the Lord of the Rings in the Third Age. Amon is A-M-A-N, the other name for the Undying Lands. Amon Hen is A-M-O-N. But Tolkien loves using similar spellings for a lot of things, so people do occasionally um, mix that up. Uh, but no, that is not where you get that. Oh, the wife is in the Silmarils. <laughs> Does Feanor represent fire, or is it just his name? Feanor can kind of be a consideration for a representation of fire. Um, that's kind of up to your own interpretation, but I think that's that's pretty close to what it is. Yeah. Because Feanor, um, Feanor metaphorically burns things and then literally burns some things. Thank you. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for dropping by. You're in the chat now. Oh, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Bringing me with me to work. Thank you. All right. Let's continue on with Chapter 7. Chapter 7 of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor. So for those that are unaware, um, we are the Chilmarils. The Discord server that we have is the Chilmarillions. And um, this is when we're finally going to get to learn what um, the Silmarils are and why it is called the Silmarillion and why it, they are so important. Chapter 7 of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor. In that time were made those things that afterwards were most renowned in all the works of the elves. For Feanor, being come to his full might, was filled with a new thought. Or it may be that some shadow of foreknowledge came to him of the doom that drew near. So something bad might happen. He thinks something bad might happen, maybe. And he pondered the light of the, tree, of the trees, and the glory of the blessed realm might be preserved imperishable. Then he began a long and secret labor, and he summoned all his lore and his power and his subtle skill, and at the end of all he made the Silmarils. As three great jewels they were in form, but not until the end, when Feanor shall return, who perished ere the sun was made, and sits now in the halls of awaiting, and comes no more among his kin, not until the sun passes and the moon falls, shall it be known what substance they were made. Like crystal of diamonds it appeared, and yet was more strong than adamant, so that no violence could mar it or break it within the kingdom of Arda. Yet that crystal was to the Silmarils, but as is the body to the children of Iluvatar, the house of the inner fire, that is within it, and yet in all parts of it. And it is 
and it is its life. And the inner fire of the Silmarils, Feanor made of the blended light of the trees of Valinor, which lives in them yet, though the trees have long withered and shine no more. Therefore, even in the darkness of the deepest treasury, the Silmarils of their own radiance shone like the stars of Varda. Varda is the Valar that uh, made the stars. And yet, as were they indeed, they, and yet, as were they indeed living things, they rejoiced in light and received it, and gave it back in hues more marvelous than before. All who dwelt in Amon were filled with wonder and delight at the work of Feanor, and Varda hallowed the Silmarils. Hallowed, excuse me, not hallowed, hallowed the Silmarils. So that thereafter no mortal flesh, nor hands unclean, nor anything of evil will might touch them. But it was scorched, but it was scorched and withered. And Mandos, basically the Hades of Valar, if we're looking for a Greek mythology equivalent. And Mandos foretold that the fate of Arda, earth, sea, and air, lay locked within them. When Mandos speaks, it usually means something bad's about to happen. Keep that in mind. The heart of Feanor was fast bound to these things that he himself had made. So that is what the Silmarils look like. They are gems that house the light and the fire of the two trees. Now, how did he make them? He used literally every ounce of his power. What are they made of? We don't know. Then Melkor lusted for the Silmarils. Shocking, I know. And the very memory of their radiance was a gnawing fire in his heart. For that time forth, from that time forth, inflamed by this desire, he sought ever more eagerly how he should destroy Feanor and end the friendship of the Valar and the elves. But he dissembled his purpose with cunning, and nothing of his malice could yet be seen in the semblance that he wore. Long was he at work, and slow at first, and barren was his labor. But he that sows lies in the end shall not lack of a harvest. And soon he began, he may rest from toils indeed, while others reap and sow in his stead. So Melkor plants the lies to Feanor, to other elves, to the Valar, to whoever whether or not they are true does it matter or whether or not those lies plant as long as he says something who knows even Melkor found some ears that would heed him and some tongues that would enlarge what he had heard and his lies passed from friend to friend as secret of which the knowledge proves the teller wise bitterly did the Noldor atone for the folly of their open ears in the days that followed thereafter. I'll pause right there and take some questions from the Twitch chat. People on TikTok, feel free to check out the Twitch and ask your questions there. Feel free to drop a follow. The link to the Twitch is in my bio. Um, so Jord Sword asks what page I am on. Right now I am on page 68 of my copy of the Silmarillion. We are on chapter 7 of the Silmarils. Stingray Sammy, thank you for the follow. Um, so are the trees still around? So the trees are still around, yes. 
Um, they are just hanging out, providing some light, uh, golden light, some dark light. It's, uh, it's pretty great. Um, they are hard light constructs. Yeah, they, they kind of are light constructs, um, the Silmarils. Um, so what was scorched and withered? The sil so the Silmarils charlations were not scorched and withered. They were hallowed. So one of the Valar looks at the, um, the Silmarils and says, okay, I'm going to bless these with my godly power, and anything evil that touches it or anything that has evil intentions they will wither and burn. They will be scorched as if they are putting their hand in literal fire. Um, my copy is beautiful. Thank you. Is it, is it Gabriella? Gabriel? Thank you. I love this copy. My wife got this for me, actually. Um, for those looking to add, like, a illustrated version, there is an illustrated version um, by Ted Naismith, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Did this kill Feanor? Uh, the Silmarils did not kill Feanor. No, the Silmarils Feanor made, and because he is not evil, he is able to hold the Silmarils in his hand. And he has them. He has held on to them. So much happened in one page. Chris, you are not wrong. In, in literally a page and a half, we get the creation of the Silmarils, their hollowedness, and their, um, and their sort of desire coming from Melkor. Also, Schneider, thank you for the follow. Very kind of you. The first pronunciation was right. Also, thank you, Gabriella. Appreciate it. You have the illustrated version, Balrog, babe? That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, okay, so I am going to keep going. I also want to, once again, give a very special shout-out to uh, Sarah, the person that designed the Chilmarils logo, as well as a bunch of the other art on this channel. Her link is in. Uh, her link to her Instagram is in the chat. It is Instagram.com slash Sarah with an H M. Uh, is it Shunk? S C H U N K E. I definitely should have asked you how that is pronounced. I am sorry. Kuzo, thank you for the sub, and quietly prim, thank you for the follow. Shunky, cool. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't ask you before. That was that was super super rude of me. Uh, Nerd Table for One asks, do these inspire the rings? Do the Silmarils inspire the rings? Um, in an indirect way, maybe. Maybe in an indirect way, because Sauron helps the elves create the rings. Um, but it's not directly related. I think, uh, we'll, we'll kind of, I'll, I'll maybe answer that in a couple of chapters from now, but the direct answer is no. Not directly, but there is kind of an indirect way that it happens. All right. Shall we keep going? All right. For Feanor, where? Oh, shoot. Where did I leave off? Okay. Of the Silmarils, chapter 7, page 68. When he, so Feanor, when he saw that many leaned towards, oh, I'm sorry, Melkor, excuse me. When he saw that many leaned towards him, Melkor would often walk among them, and amid his fair words, others were woven, so subtly that many who heard them believed in recollection that they arose from their own thought. Visions he would conjure in their hearts of a mighty realm that they would have ruled at their own will, in power and freedom in the east. And then whispers went abroad that the Valar had brought the Eldar, the Eldar are elves, to Amon. The Amon is the Undying Lands, so brought the elves to the Undying Lands. 
Then whispers went abroad that the Valar had brought the Eldar to Amon because of their jealousy, fearing that the beauty of the Quendi and the Maker's power that Iluvatar had bequeathed to them would grow too great for the Valar to govern as the elves waxed and spread over the wide lands of the world. So Melkor is planting the lie that the Valar brought the elves over to the Undying Lands because they wanted to control them. In those days, moreover, though the Valar knew indeed of the coming of men that were to be, the elves as yet knew not of it, for Manwe had not revealed it to them. But Melkor spoke to them in secret of mortal men, seeing how the silence of the Valar might be twisted to evil. Little he knew yet concerning men, for engrossed with his own thought in the music, he had paid little heed to the third theme of Iluvatar. So the third theme of music was literally the creation of men. But now the whisper went among the elves that Manwe held them captive. Sorry, the third theme was other things as well, but that is where we get the idea of the creation of men from the god in Tolkien's universe. But now the whispers went among the elves that Manwe held them captive so that men might come and supplant them in the kingdom of Middle-earth. Supplant means to take over for, in its most basic form. For the Valar saw that they might more easily sway this short-lived and weakened race, defrauding the elves of the inheritance of Iluvatar. Small truth was there to this, and little have the Valar ever prevailed to sway the wills of men, but many of the Noldor believed or half-believed the evil words. Thus, ere the Valar were aware, the peace of Valinar was poisoned. The Noldor began to murmur against them, and many became filled with pride, forgetting how much of what they had had and knew came to them in gifts from the Valar. Fiercest burned the new flame of desire for freedom and wider realms in the eager heart of Feanor, and Melkor laughed in his secrecy, for to that marks for to that mark his lies had been addressed hating feanor above all and lusting ever for the silmarils but these he was not suffered to approach for though at great feasts feanor would wear them literally wear the silmarils blazing on his brow at other times they were guarded close locked in the deep chambers of his hoard in tyrion Tyrion is like the, the place where the elves and the Valar live. It's like a great city. For Feanor began to love the Silmarils with a greedy love, and grudged the sight of them to all save his father and his seven sons. He seldom remembered now the light within them was not his own. High princes were Feanor and Fingolfin, the elder sons of Finway, honored by all in Amon. But now they grew proud and jealous of each other, of his right and his possession. Then Melkor set new lies abroad in Eldamar. Eldamar is a place in the Undying Lands. And whispers came to Feanor that Fingolfin and his sons were plotting to usurp the leadership of Finway and the elder line of Feanor, and to supplant them by the leave of the Valar. For the Valar were ill-pleased that the Silmarils lay in Tyrion and were not committed to their keeping. But to Fingolfin and Finarfin it was said, Beware. Small love has the proud son of Miriel ever had for the children of Indus. 
Now he has become great, and he has a f his father in his hand, and it will not be long before he drives you forth from Tuna. So, Feanor has planted the idea that maybe, I'm sorry, Melkor has planted the idea that Feanor might try to take over and shun his stepbrothers from their rightful place in the uh, Undying Lands by the Valar. Now, it's not true, but if you repeat a lie often enough, eventually it becomes true, at least in the minds of some people. And also, Tuna is one of the cities that they are in. It is spelled T-U-N-A with an accent over the U, which is why it's not pronounced Tuna. It's pronounced Tuna. Let's continue. And when Melkor saw that these lies were smoldering and that pride and anger were awake among the Noldor, he, be, he spoke to them concerning weapons. And in that time the Noldor began the smithying of swords and axes and spears. Shields, excuse me, shields they also, also they made, displaying the tokens of many houses and kindreds that vied one with another. And these only they wore abroad, and of other weapons they did not speak, for each believed that he alone had received the warning. And Feanor made a secret forge, of which not even Melkor was aware, and there he tempered fell swords for himself. Fell meaning um, evil or like powerful in a malicious kind of way. There he tempered fell swords for himself and his sons, and he made helms tall with plumes of red. Bitterly did Matan, his father-in-law, rue. Oh, bitter. Oh, excuse me. Bitterly did Matan rue the day when he taught to the husband of Nerdanel all the lore of metalwork that he had learned from Aule. Aule being one of the Valar, the lesser gods. Thus, with lies and evil whisperings and false counsel, Melkor kindled the hearts of the Noldor to strife, and of their quarrels came at length the end of the high days of Valinor, and the evening of its ancient glory. For Feanor now began openly to speak words of rebellion against the Valar, crying aloud that he would depart from Valinor back to the world without, meaning Middle-earth, and would deliver the Noldor from thraldom, if they would follow him. So a thrall is a kind of slave. And thraldom is, you know, the, uh, like, like the act of slavery, the, the uh, state of being in slavery. You are in a state of thraldom. You are a thrall. But that's, of course, that's not true. So I will pause there very briefly and uh, take questions. If anyone is interested, we are getting through this very quickly because um, it's a faster read. Um... What do I think... Oh, excuse me. River asks, Why do I think the Silmarils have their own heraldry? I mean, they are probably the most powerful artifacts in the entirety of Tolkien's universe. So that might be why. Was the illustrated fellowship I read from also illustrated by Ted Nays uh, Naismith? No, that was illustrated by Alan Lee, the man who did the concept art for the uh, movies, actually. I also totally just lost my page. I apologize. But if anyone is interested, I believe those, uh, those Lord of the Rings illustrated copies are available still. Um, support a local bookstore if you can. Um, but these copies 
have illustrations on them, absolutely gorgeous. I highly recommend them. I've had these for years, probably close to 15 years. They're one of my more prized possessions. All right, more questions. This reads so much like the Bible. Yeah, it really does. For, for those that have, have uh, read the Bible or heard passages from it, it really does. Hmm. Firechild, I am reading a book called The Silmarillion. It is a book written by J.R.R. Tolkien about the Lord of the Rings universe in the First Age and the Second Age. Uh, hefty thud? Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, River asks, why is it called Middle-earth? Um, I don't think I know. I think it was just called Middle-earth. I don't know if there was a rhyme or reason behind it. I'll have to look that up. Do we see any of the swords in the Lord of the Rings series? Oh, any of the swords that are made? We do eventually, not right now. Also, real quick, hi everyone on TikTok. Um, I'm answering questions on Twitch about the Silmarillion, so feel free to uh, drop a follow there. The link is in the bio. So, um, SMV, you still have your dad's old copy that has the fold-out maps. Oh, I love the fold-out maps copy. That's a good one. Is the Silmarillion translated as the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit technically is from Westrun? So nerd table, no. The um, Silmarillion was published after Tolkien had already passed away. Um, and it, the idea is that the Silmarillion is written by elves um, and is like the history of the elves themselves. Um, whether or not there's any like character that says I'm the author of this I don't think that is really true all that much um, I don't think there's anything there like that but it reads more like a history textbook Middle Earth is the original Anglo-Saxon for our world oh so maybe that's why thank you nerd table there you go Repeat question. Oh, no, that's okay. Is there any relationship between the Silmarils and the gem Galadriel has on her forehead? Uh, so, no. Um, the Silmarils are not um, any of the gems found on Galadriel. The three Silmar... What happens to the three Silmarils? I won't spoil it, obviously, because we're reading the book. What happens to the three Silmarils um, um, basically makes it so that they are not worn as jewelry some of them are later on in the book but it'll, it'll make sense a little bit later but i don't want to spoil too much all right um i think i'm gonna keep going then so um melkor has been uh getting all of his lies out there to the elves and feanor is starting to hear these lies either directly or indirectly and he's saying like hey maybe maybe i should Maybe I should be the leader of all of these elves in Middle-earth. Maybe they are holding us captive here. Who knows? Then there was great unrest in Tyrion, and Finway, Feanor's dad, king of the elves, and, his, and Finway was troubled, and he summoned all his lords to council. But Fingolfin hastened to his halls and stood before him, saying, King and father, wilt thou not restrain the pride of our brother, Karu Finway? And remember, Karufinway is another name for Feanor. Karufinway is his original name, but everyone calls him Feanor. King and father, wilt thou not restrain the pride of our brother, Karufinway, who is called Spirit of Fire, all too truly? 
By what right does he speak for all of our people as if he were king? Thou it was who long ago spoke before the Quendi. The Quendi are another name for the elves. Bidding them to accept the summons of the Valar to Amon. Thou it was who led the Noldor upon the long road through the perils of Middle-earth to the light of Eldamar. Eldamar being a place in the Undying Lands. If thou dost not now repent of it, two sons at least, thou hast to honor thy word. So that's a little bit confusing, but basically one of Finway's sons and Feanor's brother, um, Fingolfin, is basically calling his dad out, saying, hey, listen, your son is causing a lot of problems, right? He's openly saying that we should not be here in the Undying Lands with the Valar. Are you really going to take that? And Finway responds. Or does he? But even as Fingolfin spoke, Theonor strode into the chamber, and he was fully armed with weapons. His high helm upon his head, and at his side a mighty sword. So it is, even as I guessed, he said, my half-brother would be before me with my father, in this as in all other matters. Then turning to upon Fingolfin, he drew his sword, crying, Get thee gone, and take thy due place. Fingolfin bowed before Finway, and without word or glance at Feanor, he went from the chamber, and Feanor followed him, and at the door of the king's house he stayed him, and the point of his bright sword is set against Fingolfin's breast. See, half-brother, he said, this is sharper than thy tongue. Try but once more to usurp my place and the love of my father, and maybe it will rid the Noldor of one who seeks to be the master of thralls. So Feanor just interrupted, and, uh, yeah. Didn't go very well. These words were heard by many. And the house of Finway was in a great square beneath the Mindon. But again, Fingolfin made no answer, and he passed through the throng in silence. He went to seek Finarfin, his brother. Now the unrest of the Noldor was not indeed hidden from the Valar, but its seed had been sown in the dark. And therefore, since Feanor first spoke openly against them, they judged that he was the mover of discontent, being eminent in self-will and arrogance, though all the Noldor had become proud. And Monwe was grieved, and he watched and said no word. The Valar had brought the Eldar to their land freely, to dwell or to depart, and though they might judge departure to be folly, they might not restrain them from it. But now the deeds of Feanor could not be passed over, and the Valar were angered and dismayed, and he summoned—excuse <clears throat> me—and he was summoned to appear before them at the gates of Valmar, to answer for all his words and deeds. There were there were also there also were summoned all others who had any part in this matter or any knowledge of it, and Feanor, standing before Mandos, the god of the Valar, in the Ring of Doom which is where they live, was commanded to answer all that was asked of him. Then at last the root was laid bare, and the malice of Melkor revealed. 
and straightway Tulkas left the council to lay hands upon him and bring him again to judgment. But Feanor was not held guiltless, for he it was that had broken the peace of Valinor and drawn his sword upon his kinsmen. And Mandos said to him, Thou speakest of thraldom. If thraldom it be, thou canst not escape it, for Manwe is king of Arda, and not of Amon only, and this indeed was unlawful, whether in Amon or not in Amon. Therefore this doom is now made, for twelve years thou shalt leave Tyrion. Where this threat was uttered, in that time take counsel with thyself, and remember who and what thou art. But after that time this matter shall be set in peace and held redressed, if others will release thee. When Mandos speaks, usually bad things happen. So they basically just banished Feanor for twelve years. Then Fingolfin said, I will release my brother. But Feanor spoke no word in answer, standing silent before the Valar, and he turned and left the council and departed from Valmar. With him into banishment went his seven sons, and northward in Valinor they made a strong place and treasury in the hills, and there at Formanos a multitude of gems were laid in hoard. Formanos is where they created their place to live and weapons also, and the Silmarils were shut in the chamber of iron. Thither also came Finway, the king, because of the love that he bore for Feanor, and Fingolfin ruled the Noldor in Tyrion. Thus the lies of Melkor were made true in seeming, though Feanor by his own deeds had brought this thing to pass, and the bitterness that Melkor had sown endured, and lived long enough long afterwards between the sons of Fingolfin and Feanor. I'll take a brief pause there and take questions. I'll also let everyone on TikTok know. Hi, TikTok people. If you're interested in asking a question, check out the link in the bio, uh, in my bio, twitch.tv slash donmarshall72, taking questions. So, you're trying not to like Feanor's aggressive energy. Uh, that's, that's fair. Feanor is a very aggressive elf. Yeah. Um, why didn't their father stop them? Charlations, that is the real question. That is the real question. If Finway had just said, yo, stop, maybe, maybe a lot of things would have been different, but he didn't. I think Feanor is not really the greatest father um, and didn't really know how to be a parent. But then, then again, who does, right? Yeah, 12-year timeout is basically what happened. Is 12 years a long time for an elf? Not really. When you, We don't know how long, how old many of these elves are. Some of them are as old as creation, but we don't really get a sense of how many thousands of years, hundreds or thousands of years have passed. It's kind of unclear, um, at least for now. I think Tolkien might have written about it beforehand. I'll have to look that up, though. Thank you. All right. Um, but no, it's not a terribly long time. So why is Feanor banished? Feanor got put in timeout and is banished because he drew a sword and threatened another elf with it. Um, which really there was no need for, right? There, the idea of war between the elves was ridiculous, right? Why would the elves attack each other? 
There's no need. They live in a literal paradise. Unless the lies of Melkor, the, Val the evil Valar, the main antagonist, are weaving their way through people, like whisper down the lane, but significantly more deadly. Don't touch my pudding cup says these names sound like they in they inspired the Rohan names. There's a lot of great names in the uh, in the Silmarillion. Let's continue with Silmarillion Sunday, shall we? Uh, when we last left off, everything bad was about to happen. Also, uh, so we are gonna go through chapter eight today and partway through the f uh, chapter nine, the flight of the Noldor. So this is called the Darkening of Valinor, and the flight of the Noldor. This is when everything happens. If you can make it to this point in the book on your own, you can more than likely make it through the rest because uh, we've gotten through kind of the hard parts of uh, the, you know, the flowery language and the very excited dogs. There is a very excited dog in the Silmarillion, though. Oh my god. <laughs> That's what happens when... Uh, when you have a dog, sometimes they just crash the stream. But that's okay. That's why I made an emote for her, because I knew she would do that. So, to give a quick recap for those that are just joining us or would like recaps, we went through the beginning of the creation of the world, um, where the god Eru basically said, okay, I'm going to create um, beings of my thought. He called those the Ainur. The Ainur created music through themes and then through those themes, they created the world, like the physical world called Ea. And then there were a couple of the Ainur who uh, came down to Ea, the physical world, and started like shaping it and ruling over it. And uh, that is uh, the Valar. I'm going to make myself a little bit smaller here. There we go. Um, and also, KK Rivoche, thank you for the follow. Oh, don't mind me. I'm just... Drinking water from my mug. It says Yeet Isildur in Elvish. Oh, Sortek, thank you for the follow. Um, so where was I? Yes, so the Valar came down, and uh, after a while, the elves were created. And they sort of pop into existence. Um, no chicken or the egg sort of uh, thing here. They just kind of come into consciousness. And one of the Valar, named Melkor, um, is just wants to rule over them just wants to absolutely be king and ruler of everything and the valar are like no 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 so they fight a war between the valar and melkor fight a war um and they're like okay elves it's probably not safe over here come on over to the undying lands it's basically paradise we can keep you safe and melkor doesn't like that very much so he oh uh item thank you for the follow um so he says, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, corrupt people, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, well, sorry, he gets thrown, Melkor gets thrown into like a, a prison of sorts uh, in another dimension and he has to stay there for three ages and everyone's fairly happy. Um, and then his sentence is ended and he's like coming back out and he basically fakes that he is a changed person and he's not going to do all the bad things anymore. Darth Melkor indeed, Pudding Cup. That is absolutely true. So the Valar believe him, some of them do at least, and they're like, alright, we'll give you a chance to not be bad anymore, but be careful. 
And so, of course, he tries to be, tries to be good and then uh, isn't anymore. So he um, becomes more or less uh, a, a corrupter of minds. And one of the elves that he corrupts, his name is Feanor. And Feanor is going to play a very big part in the next chapter. So Feanor is like hearing whispers through other people, maybe through a little bit of Melkor, that, well, maybe the Valar didn't bring us over here to like keep us safe or like enjoy paradise with us. Maybe they came here to like enslave us or to like rule over us. That's not true, of course. But you repeat something often enough, eventually people start to believe it. So we are just at the point right now where... That's okay. Was that change? Yeah. Ah, into our change jar. So um, when we last left off, Feanor had created these jewels called the Silmarils. And the Silmarils contain, like, the light of the world, basically. Um... And they are going to play a very integral part very soon. Can we yeet Feanor too? Yeah, we can probably yeet Feanor if you want. Sure. I'm all right with that. Oh, my Furbo just <laughs> turned back on. What? My the Oh, not Furbo. Sorry. <laughs> the Roomba. Roomba oh. and Furbo. Very different things. So, when we last left off, Feanor had basically and literally shut the door on Melkor, because Melkor came to him and said, you know, I'm a changed person, I can help you, because um, Feanor got banished. Um, Feanor was like, I think the Valar are the bad guys, and the rest of the elves are like, get out of here, what are you doing? And they banish him with the Valar, they, they banish him. And so um, he basically is in, in exile, and Melkor goes, goes to him in exile and is like, you and I can help each other. And Feanor's not having any of it. And Feanor's like, well, no, absolutely not. Shuts the door, um, literally, on Melkor. And Melkor, when we le last left off, is just seething. And that's where we're going to pick up. This chapter is called The Darkening of Valinor. This is chapter 8. I'll be taking questions shortly. Um, and also, I am going to be stopping about halfway through uh, chapter 9, roughly 10 or 11 pages. I've got a place picked out, but we'll see how far I get. <clears throat> so chapter 8 of The Darkening of Valinor. When Monwe heard of the ways that Melkor had taken, because Melkor ran. Melkor ran away once he uh, went to Feanor. When Melkor heard of the ways that Melkor had taken, it seemed plain to him that he purposed to escape to his old strongholds in the north of Middle-earth, and Orome and Tulkas, and Orome and Tulkas are two of the Valar, went with all speed northward, seeking to overtake him, if they might. But they found no trace or rumor of him beyond the shores of the Teleri. The Teleri are a group of elves that um, are pretty much like the, the sailors, the mariners. But they found no trace or rumor of him beyond the shores of the Teleri, in the unpeopled wastes that drew near the ice. The ice is the northern part of the, uh, of the Undying Lands. Therefore the watch was redoubled along the northern fences of Amon, but to no purpose. For ere ever the pursuit set out, Melkor had turned back, and in secrecy passed away far to the south, for he had yet as one of the Valar 
for he was yet as one of the Valar, and could change his form, or walk unclad, as could his brethren, though the power he would soon lose forever. Thus unseen, he came at last to the dark region of Avathar. Uh, this paragraph is going to be a little confusing. You don't really have to remember any of these names. If you do, I'll tell you. Thus unseen, he came at last to the dark regions of Avathar, the narrow land south of the Bay of Eldamar, beneath the eastern feet of the Pelori and its long mournful shores, stretched away into the south, lightless and unexplored. There, underneath the sheer walls of the mountains and the cold, dark sea, the shadows were deepest and thickest in the world. And there, in Avatar, secret and unknown, Ungoliant made her abode. For those that have seen some of my TikToks, you may have seen my video about Ungoliant, the giant primordial spider. Uh, in this case, she is probably a little bit bigger than Shelob. And... Um... Let's just say things don't go very well from here. The Eldar knew not whence she came, but some have said that in ages long before she descended from the darkness that lies about Arda, when Melkor first looked down in envy upon the kingdom of Monwe, and that in the beginning she was one of those he had corrupted to his service. But she had disowned her master, desiring to be mistress of her own lust, taking all things to feed her to herself to feed her emptiness, and she fled to the south, escaping the assaults of the Valar and the hunters of Orome, for their vigilance had ever been to the north, and the south was long unheeded. Thence she had crept towards the light of the blessed realm, for she hungered for light and hated it. In the ravine she lived, and took shape as a spider of monstrous form, weaving her black webs in the cleft of the mountainside. There she sucked up all light that she could find, and spun it forth again in dark nets of strangling gloom, until no light more could come to her abode. And she was famished. She is so hungry. Now Melkor came to Avatar and sought her out. And he put on again the form he had worn as the tyrant of Utumno. Utumno is basically uh, where um, Melkor reigned over. A dark lord, tall and terrible. In that form he remained ever after. There in the black shadows beyond the sight, beyond the sight even of Manwe in his tallest, in his highest halls, Melkor with Ungoliant plotted his revenge. But when Ungoliant understood the purpose of Melkor, she was torn between lust and great fear, for she was loath to dare the perils of Amon and the power of the dreadful lords, and she would not stir from her hiding. Therefore Melkor said to her, Do as I bid, and if thou hunger still when all is done, then I will give thee whatever thy lust may demand, yet with both hands, yea, with both hands, excuse me, Lightly he made this vow, as he ever did, and laughed in his heart. Thus did the great thief set his lure for the lesser. A cloak of darkness she wove about them, when Melkor and Ungoliant set forth an unlight, in which things seemed to be no more, and which eyes could not pierce, for it was void. Then slowly more, 
Oh, excuse me. Then slowly she wrought her webs, rope by rope, from cleft to cleft, jutting rock to pinnacle of stone, ever climbing upwards, crawling and clinging, until at last she reached the summit of Hyarmentir. Again, one of those mountains that I don't know how to pronounce even. The highest mountain in that region of the world, far south of Great Taniquetil, which is where the Valar live. There the Valar are not vigilant, for west of the Pelori was an empty land in twilight, and eastward the mountains looked out, save the forgotten Avatar, only upon the dim waters of the pathless sea. But upon the mountain top dark Ungaliant lay, and she made a ladder of woven ropes and cast it down, and Melkor climbed upon it and came to that high place and stood beside her, looking down upon the guarded realm, Below them lay the woods of Orome, Orome being the Valar, one of the Valar, and westward shimmered the fields and pastures of Yavanna, Yavanna being like the druid Valar. Gold beneath the tall wheat of the gods. But Melkor looked north, and saw afar the shining plains and the silver domes of Valmar, gleaming in the mingling of the lights of Telperion and Laurelin. Telperion and Laurelin are the two trees that the Valar created to give light to the Undying Lands. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but definitely worth remembering. They're going to play a huge role very soon. Hmm. Also, Beer and Wings, thank you for the sub. Very kind of you. Um, now it was time of festival. Oh, excuse me. Then Melkor laughed aloud and left swiftly down the long western slopes and Ungoliant was at his side, and her darkness covered them. Now it was a time of festival, as Melkor knew well, though all tides and seasons were at the will of the Valar, and in Valinor there was no winter of death. Nonetheless they dwelt there in the kingdom of Arda, and that was but a small realm in the halls of Ea. So Arda is the Undying Lands, and the, the kingdom where the Valar and the Elves are are a very small part of it. So there are areas that are sort of unexplored. I'll start over from that sentence. Though all the tides and seasons were at the will of the Valar, and, the Valin and in Valinor there was no winter of death, nonetheless there dwelt then in the kingdom of Arda and was but a small realm of the halls of Ea, whose life is time, which flows ever from the first note to the last chord of Eru. That was one sentence. Tolkien is really into one sentence, uh, long run-on sentences. I'll be taking questions in just a second, so feel free to write them out in the chat now, and we'll get to those in a minute. Therefore, Yavanna set a... Oh, wait, no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting distracted from the run-on sentences. And even as it was then the delight of the Valar, as is told in the Ainulundale, to clothe themselves in the vesture in the forms of the children of Iluvatar, so the Valar make themselves look like elves, so also did they eat and drink, and gather the fruits of Yavanna from the earth, under which under Eru they had made. 
Therefore Yavanna set time for the flowering and ripening of all things that grew in Valinor. And at each first gathering of the fruit, Manwe made a high feast for the praising of Eru. When all the peoples of Valinor poured forth their joy in music and song upon Twenyquetil. This now was the hour, and Manwe decreed a feast more glorious than any that had been held since the coming, bless you, of the Eldar to Amon. For those, bless you again, for though, for though the escape of Melkor portended toils, so even though Melkor escaped, they're still happy. For even, for though the escape of Melkor portended toils and sorrow to come, and indeed none could tell what further hurts would be done to Arda ere he could, he could be subdued again, at this time Manwe designed to heal the evil that had arisen among the Noldor, and all were bidden to come to his hall upon Tani Quetil, there to put aside the griefs and lay between their princes and forget utterly the lies of their enemy. I'll stop there and take questions. Also, hey folks on uh, TikTok, I am over on my Twitch channel. Feel free to come and check it out. Um, we are doing a live reading of the Silmarillion. Um, and I'm taking questions on Twitch, so let's take those now. Can you kind of see how the, the, the prose is picking up and the narrative is getting a little bit faster? We just sped through about three pages there. Now, in, in previous chapters, three pages would have taken me probably about a half hour, because sometimes the language is that flowery. Um, beer and wings, again, thank you for the sub, and now my wife wants wings. You know what? Yeah, me too. Tolkien does love commas. You're absolutely right, Sortek. Ambrosia says, I feel like the Silmarillion could have been written in iambic pentameter. No joke, there are parts of the Silmarillion that are told in what I call basically extended versions that Tolkien wrote exclusively in rhyme. There is a chapter called Of Baron and Luthien, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. And Baron and Luthien is written in prose, but it also exists in rhyme. The rhyming scheme is beautiful. It's called The Lay of Lathian, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Prince says, of course Tolkien loved his commas. He went to Oxford. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one, Prince. What form did Ungoliant take before she was a spider? So Deadhead, good question. Um, we don't really get an idea of what she was, but it is thought that she was probably a Maya, one of the lesser spirits of Tolkien's um, universe. Um, but she was definitely corrupted and then um, probably only took the form of a spider because Tolkien wanted her to, right? There's, there's no real reason she needed to, but she needed a certain form. I keep flickering on the camera. I'm not entirely sure why I'm doing that. I'm going to try and work on that. Mm. Um, am I going to read the other books like The Fall of Gondolin and Children of Horan? Um, IZ, yeah, if there is a demand for it, yeah, I'd love to read more of uh, Tolkien's books on stream. Um, let me know in the chat if, uh, if that interests you. Because we've got a pretty consistent group here that's coming. There's roughly 50 uh, to 60 of you that like come every week and watch the videos and thank you so much for being here but yeah if we want to move um you know Silmarillion Sunday to just like a more overall reading of Tolkien books absolutely I'd be down for that Unfinished Tales is another good one yeah um all right so I think I've answered all of the questions um 
So I'm going to keep going if that's all right. Let's, oh, did I just lose my, <laughs> I think I might have just lost my page. Nerd table for one. Oh my goodness. Giving out some gift subs. Thank you, nerd table for one. Oh, it is a, <laughs> that is a funny name. Thank you. I love it. If we could read along with all of Tolkien's major works, yeah, maybe that's what we do on Sundays. Maybe that's what we do. That'd be fun. Oh, Nerd Table, very kind of you. Thank you. The Song of Arendil is the greatest rhyming scheme. You know what, Sortek? I, I agree. I agree. That is probably one of the best ones. Oh, thank you, Nerd. That is very kind of you. The Church of the Chilmarils. Did we just come up with a new name after Silmarillion Sunday? Because I think we did. <laughs> I love it. Prince, excellent idea. Welcome to the Church of the Chilmarils. This is Silmarillion Sunday. Oh, thank you. All right, let's, let's keep this going. <laughs> oh, nerd table, don't apologize for being late. You just gifted out five subs. That is a-okay. Ah. Uh, Put that on a shirt? The Church of the Chilmarils? <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, we do have a Chilmarils logo. <laughs> All right, let's keep it going. Oh, nope, that's the wrong page. I was about to skip ten pages ahead and ruin a lot of that. <laughs> Good catch. All right. So... So the Valar are having a feast with the elves. There came the Vanyar, and there came the Noldor of Tyrion, and the Maiar were gathered together, and the Valar were arrayed in their beauty and majesty, and they sang before Manwe and Varda in their lofty halls. By the way, Tolkien uses the word lofty a lot. Get used to it, it's going to be here, and now you're not going to be able to unhear un it. <laughs> um... Sorry, get distracted by that. And they sang before Manwe and Varda in their lofty halls, or danced upon the green slopes of the mountain that looked west toward the trees. In that day, the streets of Valmar were empty, and the stairs of Tyrion were silent, and all the land lay sleeping at peace. Only the Teleri, beyond the mountains, still sang upon the shores of the sea, for they recked little of seasons or times, and gave no thought for the cares of the rulers of Arda. The Teleri, again, are like the sea people, the people of the sea. Or the shadow that had fallen on Valinor, for it had not touched them as yet. But it will. One thing only marred the, de the design of Manwe. Theonor came indeed. For him alone Manwe hadn't commanded to come. But Finwe came not, nor any other of the Noldor of Formenos. Formanos is the place where Feanor went into exile. For said Finway, while the ban lasts upon Feanor, my son, that he may not go to Tyrion, I hold myself unkinged, and I will not meet my people. And Feanor came not to rement the festival, and he wore no ornament, neither silver nor gold nor any gem, and he denied the sight of the Silmarils to the Valar and the Eldar and left them locked in Formenos in a chamber of iron. Nevertheless, he met Fingolfin before the throne of Manwe, and was reconciled in word. And Fingolfin set at naught the unsheathing of the sword. 
you'll remember from last time, Feanor held his brother at sword point and basically said, I think you're wrong, and we're going to have a problem here. As I promised, I do now. I release thee, and remember no grievance. That's Fingolfin, Feanor's brother, basically saying, it's okay, you're fine. Then Feanor took his hand in silence, but Fingolfin said, half-brother in blood, but full brother in heart will I be. Thou shalt lead, and I will follow. May no new grief divide us. I hear thee, said Feanor, so be it. But they did not know the meaning that their words would bear. It is told that even as Feanor and Fingolfin stood before Manwe, there came the mingling of the lights, the light of the trees. When both trees were shining, and the silent city of Valmar was filled with a radiance of silver and gold, and in that very hour Melkor and Ungoliant came hastening over the fields of Valinor, as the shadow of black cloud upon the wind fleets over the sunlit earth, and they came before the green mound of Ezelohar. Then the unlight of Ungoliant rose up even to the roots of the trees, and Melkor sprang upon the ground, and with his black spear he smote each tree to its core, wounding them deep, and their sap poured forth as it was their blood, and spilled upon the ground. But Ungoliant sucked it up, and going then from tree to tree, she set her black beak upon to their wounds, till they were drained, and the poison of death that was in her went into their tissue and withered them root, branch, and leaf, and they died. And still she thirsted, going to the wells of Varda, she drank them dry, but Ungoliant belched forth black vapors as she drank, and swelled to a shape so vast and hideous that Melkor was afraid. I'll pause there for a second. Not much makes Melkor afraid. So when Melkor is afraid, you know it's a problem. So the great darkness fell upon Valinor. Of the deeds of that day, much is told in the Aldun, Aldunai, that Elmire of the Valar made and is known to all the Eldar. Yet no song or tale could contain all the grief and terror that then befell. The light failed, but the darkness that followed was more than loss of light. In that hour was made a darkness that seemed not lack, but a thing, that being of its own. For it was indeed made by malice out of light, and it had power to pierce the eye, and to enter heart and mind, and strangle the very will. Varda took down, up, looked down from Taniquetil and beheld the shadow soaring upon the sudden towers of gloom. Valmar had floundered in a deep sea of night. Suddenly, the holy mountain stood alone, the last island in the world that was drowned. All songs ceased. There was silence in Valinor, and no sound could be heard, save only from afar there came on the wind through the pass of the mountains the wailing of the Teleri, like the cold cry of gulls, for it blew chill from the east in that hour, and the vast shadows of the sea were rolled upon the walls of the shore. But Manwe, from his high seat, looked out, and his eyes alone pierced through the night, until they saw a darkness beyond dark, 
which they could not penetrate, huge but not far away, moving now northward with great speed, and he knew that Melkor had come and gone. Then the pursuit had begun, and the earth shook beneath the horses of the host of Orome, and the fire that was stricken from the hooves of Nahar was the first light that returned to Valinor. But so soon as they came upon the cloud of Ungoliant, the riders of the Valar were blinded and dismayed, and they were scattered, and they went there they knew not whither, and the sound of the Valoroma faltered and failed, and Tulkas, as one caught in a black net of night, and he stood powerless, and beat the air in vain. But when the darkness had passed, it was too late. Melkor had gone, whither he would, and his vengeance was achieved. I'm going to pause there for a second and take some questions. I That is probably one of the best parts of the Silmarillion in terms of like action and description. Um, and, oh God, gives me chills. Because what you have to understand is they are in complete and total darkness. Not a darkness like, oh, the moon is out or the stars are out. The moon doesn't exist at this point. There is no sun. There is no moon. The only light came from those trees. They provided light to the entirety of the Undying Lands. And they are mm, gone. They are just gone. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I'll take some uh, some questions now. Also, hello to everybody on TikTok. Uh, feel free to join over on the Twitch. We are uh, live streaming the Silmarillion, and I am taking questions. <sighs> Wasn't that cool, though? Wasn't that cool? Padding. What page am I on? Oh, you bought the same copy as me. Oh, thank you. Uh, I am right now, uh, I just finished page 77. I am now on page 78, the beginning of chapter 9, The Flight of the Noldor. We are probably not going to make it through the entirety of, um, of chapter 9 today, but I want to keep going because this is when it happens. Ungoliant, what do you think she represents? Ah, uh, Ungoliant is a an ancient primordial, right? She is one of the first things to be corrupted by um by Melkor. Uh is she World War 1 incarnate? Ooh, you know what? That <laughs> that's an interesting thought. Um I would say no, but the, I could be wrong about that, right? Tolkien drew a lot of experiences from World War One, right? Look at any picture of any of the battlefields, right? Verdun, the Battle of the Somme, Passchendaele. All of those places look like Mordor. You can't help but draw comparisons. They are so alike. The ground is cratered in pits from the shells, of the, from the mortar shells. There's so much that... that he took from his experiences in war visually and translated into um, into his books. Why does Tolkien hate spiders so much? Helena, I don't know. But if you're wondering where I got my fear of spiders, this is it. 
I got my fear of spiders from Tolkien, and I got my fear of snakes from Redwall. For those of you that uh, haven't read them, the Redwall series is uh, kind of like Lord of the Rings light, but it's uh, it's the tale of a couple of uh, anthropomorphic mice who live in this abbey, and there's different woodland creatures that live there, and um, you know it's their adventures in the the land of Mossflower, um, and the Redwall Abbey. Absolutely phenomenal books by Brian Jakes. I recommend you read them, and I recommend them for kids. Anyone that's got kids uh, that is, you know, um, listening to this, highly recommend the Redwall series. Um, there is a very scary snake, though, named Asmodeus, and I was terrified of him as a child. There's an animated series of Redwall, too. <laughs> um... The human psychology is terrified of multi-limbed creatures. Very true. I'm also terrified of no-limbed creatures like snakes, right? That's, that's terrifying as well. Oh, good. A lot of people have already uh, know about Redwall. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, I've got a couple of people to give shout-outs to before I keep going. Lentil Soup Boy, thank you for the follow. And Topper Boy, thank you for the follow. Very kind of you. Uh... The book traumatized me as a child. Your kid should read it, though. You know what? Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe a little bit. I wouldn't say I was traumatized, but I definitely have a fear of snakes because of it. But you know what? It's not necessarily a bad thing to be afraid of snakes. I would argue it's a survival instinct that will make you stronger. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I think I've answered all of the questions for right now, so I am going to keep going on to chapter 9. That's called trauma. Bella, I don't know if that's called trauma, but... Well... Maybe. Anyway. Chapter 9 of the Flight of the Noldor. But where are the Noldor going, you ask? Oh, get ready. <laughs> Chapter 9 of the Flight of the Noldor. After a time, a great concourse gathered about the Ring of Doom. The Ring of Doom is where the Valar live. And the Valar sat in shadow, for it was night. But the stars of Varda now glimmered overhead, and the air was clear, for the winds of Manwe had driven away the vapors of death and rolled back the shadows to the sea. Then Yavanna rose, arose and stood below Azelohar, the green mound. But it was bare now and black, and she laid her hand upon the tree, but they were dead and dark and each branch that she touched broke and fell lifeless at her feet. Then many voices were lifted in lamentation, and it seemed to those that mourned that they were drained to the dregs, the cup of woe that Melkor had filled for them. And it, But it was not so. Yovana spoke before the Valar, saying, The light of the trees has passed away, and lives now only in the Silmarils of Feanor. Foresight was, foresighted was he, even for those who are the mightiest under Iluvatar. There is some work that they may accomplish once and only once. The light of the trees I brought into being, and within Ea I can do so never again. So she can't just make other trees. Yet had I but a little of that light, I could recall life to the trees ere their roots decay. And then our hurts would should be healed, and the malice of Melkor be confounded. 
Then Manwe spoke and said, Hearest thou, Melkor, son of Finwe, the words of Yavanna? Wilt thou grant what she would ask? So Manwe is basically saying, Hey, Feanor, are you going to give us some light? There was a long silence, but Feanor answered no words. Then Tulkas, one of the other Valar, cried, Speak, O Noldo, yea or nay, but who shall deny Yavanna? And did not the light of the Silmarils come from her work in the beginning? But Aule the Maker said, Be not hasty. We ask a greater thing than thou knowest. Let him have peace yet a while. But Feanor spoke then and cried bitterly, For the less even as for the greater, there is some deed that he may accomplish but, only, but once only, and in that deed his heart shall rest. It may be that I can unlock my jewels, but never again shall I make their like. And if I must break them, I shall break my heart, and I shall be slain first of all the Eldar in Amon. Keep in mind, at this point, no elves have died, right? In the Undying Lands. And Feanor, like Yavanna, is basically saying, I can't do this again. It took my entire willpower. I almost died. Not the first, said Mantos, but they did not understand his word. And again, there was silence. As I have said before, when Mandos speaks, bad things happen. Whoa, whoa. Hang on, sorry. Sorry about that, everyone. Nope. River, come on. There is someone uh, at my neighbor's door. Streaming problems with dog. We're good. So, I want to explain something very quickly. I said just then, when... When uh, Mandos speaks, bad things happen. And Feanor just sh said, I shall break, if I must break them, I shall break my heart and I shall be slain, the first of all the Eldar in Mandos. And, I'm sorry, <laughs> excuse me, the first of all the Eldar in Amon. And Mandos just said, not the first. And Mandos basically just said, you're not the first elf that's going to die. Let's continue. Not the first, said Mandos, but they did not understand his words. Mandos, by the way, is one of the Valar, if I didn't say that already. And again there was silence. When Feanor brooded, while Feanor brooded in the dark, it seemed to him that he was beset in a ring of enemies, and the words of Melkor returned to him, saying that the Silmarils were not safe, if the Valar possessed them. And is he not Vala, as are they? said his thought. And does he not understand their hearts? Yea, a thief shall reveal thieves. Then he cried aloud, This thing I will not do of free will, but if the Valar will constrain me, then shall I know indeed that Melkor is of their kindred. Then Mandos said, Thou hast spoken. And Nienna arose and went up onto Zelohar, and cast back her gray hood, and with her tears washed away all the defilements of Ungoliant. 
and she sang in mourning of the bitterness of the world and the marring of Arda. Nienna, again, is another one of the Valar. But even as Nienna mourned, there came messengers from Formanos, where Finway, uh, Thanor's father, was staying. But even as Nienna mourned, there came messengers from Formanos, and they were Noldor, and bore new tidings of evil. For they told how a blind darkness came northward, and in the midst walked some power for which there was no name, and the darkness issued from it. But Melkor also was there, and he came to the house of Feanor, and there slew Finwë, king of the Noldor, before his doors, and spilled the first blood in the blessed realm. For Finwë alone had not fled from the horrors of the dark. And they told that Melkor had broken the stronghold of Formanos and taken all the jewels of the Noldor that were hoarded in that place. And the Silmarils were gone. I'll pause there and take questions. Melkor has just killed Feanor's father. And Feanor has just been asked by the Valar to give up his most prized possessions. But... This is probably my favorite part of the book because everything becomes unraveled so much so. Definitely one of my favorite parts. Uh, is this, this is where the fun begins. IZ, you are absolutely correct. If you make it this far in the Silmarillion and you can get through the, the hefty parts of it, this is when we get into the war. This is called the War of Wrath, what is about to happen. And it is a doozy. Okay, so Sortek asks, did they rename it the un the occasionally dying lands afterwards? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite, but that's a great comment. So no, the undying lands are just what the um what men in Middle-earth call uh Amon. The War of Wrath sounds pleasant. Pleasant is a word I would not use. <laughs> do any of the Valar ever come to Middle-earth? Um, oh, do any of the Vanyar, excuse me, do any of the Vanyar come to Middle-earth? The Vanyar are a group of elves. Um, as far as I know, no, they don't. I might be wrong about that, though, but as far as I know. Prince says, the War of Wrath is what happens when people steal my fries. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> also, uh, for those interested on TikTok, I am streaming live on Twitch. The link is in my bio. Come check it out. Uh, Pudding Cup asks, dragons soon? Uh, soon-ish, I think. I think we've got a couple of chapters to go before we see dragons, but they're coming. Don't you worry. Also, Kirk, T68, thank you for the follow. Very kind of you. The whole first age is the War of Wrath? Um, yeah, kind of kind of the whole first age because I think that I'm not sure about timelines that is kind of where I'm where I'm a little uh where I'm a little unclear on yeah I'll have to double check that that's a good it's a good question 
All right, so Nerd Table for One asks, so did Feanor's dad go to the halls of Mandos, where the elves go, or is he dead dead? No, so he went to the halls of Mandos. Finway, the elven king of the Noldor, killed by Morgoth, just went to the halls of Mandos. So his body is dead, but his, um, I, I call it their soul, but really it's their spirit in a way. You can give it whatever name you want, really. Their spirit is in the halls of Mandos. Which is kind of like uh, I'll equate it to purgatory in um, in uh, Christianity. Um, also, Thor, thank you for the compliment. Yeah, the uh, the screen that you're seeing all around me is uh, was made by the artist who did uh, some of the artwork for the channel as well as the emotes. I'm gonna post uh, her link in the uh, Discord to her Instagram. Please go show her some love if you haven't already. Go follow her. It's wonderful. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think I'm going to keep going. we got a little bit more to go. All right. If I can find the page. There we go. So the Silmarils are just gone right now. I wonder how Feanor is going to react. Poorly. Then Feanor rose, and lifting up his hands before Manwe, he cursed Melkor, naming him Morgoth, the Black Foe of the World. So this is where the name changes come in. I mentioned it very early on. Tolkien loves taking names for characters and then changing them halfway through the story. This is one of those times. Melkor is now Morgoth, which means the Black Foe of the World. And by that name only, he was known to the Eldar ever after. And he cursed also the summons of Manwe and the hour in which he came to Taniquatil, thinking in the madness of his rage and grief that had he been at Formanos, his strength would have availed more than to be slain also, as Melkor had purposed. Then Feanor ran from the Ring of Doom and fled into the night, for his father was dearer to him than the lights of Valinor or the peerless works of his hands, and who among sons of elves and men had held their fathers of greater worth. Feanor really loved his father, and I think there is something to be said about their relationship, because Finway goes into exile with Feanor once he's banished. Many there grieved for the anguish of Feanor, but his loss was not his alone, and Yavanna wept by the mound, in fear that the darkness would swallow the last rays of the light of Valinor forever. For though the Valar did not yet understand fully what had befallen, they perceived that Melkor had called upon some aid that came from beyond Arda. The Silmarils had passed away, and all, one it may seem, whether Feanor had said yea or nay to Yavanna, yet... Had he said yea at the first, before the tidings came to, from Formanos, it may be that after that his after-deeds would have been other than they were. But now the doom of the Noldor drew near. So basically what that is saying is, had Feanor said, yes, I will give you the Silmarils, it might have changed what he had done afterwards. But because he said no... It was a problem. Meanwhile, Morgoth, escaping from the pursuits of the Valar, came 
to the wastes of Araman. This land lay northward between the mountains of the Pelori and the Great Sea, as Avathar lay south. But Araman was a wider land, and between the shores and the mountain were barren plains, even colder as the ice drew nearer. Though this re through this region Morgoth and Ungoliant passed in haste, and so came through the great mists of Aumore, I don't know how to pronounce that word, O-I-O-M-U-R-E, there's an accent over the E and a tilde over the, I'm sorry, an accent over the U and the tilde over an, the E. Some things even I don't know how to pronounce. So they came through the mists of this place to the Hellcarax, where the strait between Araman and Middle-earth was filled with a grinding ice. So Middle-earth and the Undying Lands are basically um, connected by a great tundra of ice. Together they went, oh, excuse me, and he crossed over and came back at last to the north of the Outer Lands. Together they went on, for Morgoth could not elude Ungoliant, and her cloud was still about him, and all her eyes were upon him. And when they came to those lands that lay north of the Firth of Drengist, you don't have to remember that part, now Morgoth was drawing near to the ruins of Angband. Angband is where his fortress was, where his great western stronghold had been. Again, I keep thinking that Tolkien doesn't explain things, and he does. I gotta stop. <laughs> now Morgoth was drawing near to the ruins of Angband, where his great western stronghold had been, and Ungoliant perceived his hope, and knew that here he would seek to escape from her, and she stayed him, demanding that he fulfill his promise. Blackheart, she said, I have done thy bidding, but I hunger still. Not so much, said Ungol. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry. What would thou have? What wouldst thou have more? Said Morgoth. Dost thou desire all the world for thy belly? I did not vow to give thee that. I am its lord. Not so much, said Ungoliant. But thou hast a great treasure from Formenos. I would have all that. Yea, with both hands, shall thou give it. Ungoliant is basically saying, "Hey, time to pay up." Then, perforce, Morgoth surrendered to her the gems that he bore with him, one by one and grudgingly, and she devoured them. And their beauty perished from the world. Hunger and darkness yet grew ungoliant, but her lust was unsated. With one hand thou givest, she said, with the left only open thy right hand. In his right hand Morgoth held close the Silmarils, and though they were locked in a crystal casket, they had begun to burn him, and his hand was clenched in pain, but he would not open it. Nay, he said, thou hast had thy due, for with my power that I put into thee, thy work was accomplished. I need thee no more. These things thou shalt not have, nor see. I name them unto myself forever." But Ungoliant had grown great, and he less, by the power that had gone out of him. And she rose against him, and her cloud closed about him, and she enmeshed him in a web, clinging throngs to strangle him. Then Morgoth sent forth a terrible cry.
that echoed in the mountains, therefore the region that was called Lamoth, for the echoes of his voice dwelt there ever after, so that any who cried aloud in that land awoke them. And all the wastes between the hills and the sea were filled with a clamor as of voices in anguish. The cry of Morgoth in that hour was the greatest and most dreadful that was ever heard in the northern world. The mountains shook, and the earth trembled, and rocks were riven asunder. Riven asunder means split in half. Deep in the forgotten places, that cry was heard, far beneath the ruins of Angband, in the vaults to which the Valar in, their, in the haste of their assault had not descended, Balrogs still lurked. Just, I love that line so much. Awaiting ever the return of their lord, and now swiftly they arose, passing over Hithlam, they came to Lamoth, as a tempest of fire, with their whips of flame, they smote asunder the webs of Ungoliant, and she quailed and turned to flight, belching black vapors to cover her, and fleeing from the north, she went down into Beleriand and dwelt beneath Arid Gorgoroth, in that dark valley that was after called Dar Dungortheb, the valley of dreadful death, because of the horror that she bred there. For other foul creatures of spider form had dwelt there since the days of the delvings of Angband, and she mated with them, devour and devoured them. And even after Ungoliant herself departed and went whither she would, into the forgotten south of the world, her offspring abode there, and she wove their hideous web and wove their hideous webs. Of the fate of Ungoliant, no tale tells. Yet some have said that she ended long ago, when, in her uttermost famine, she devoured herself at last. And thus the fear of Yavanna, that the Silmarils would be swallowed up and fall into nothingness, did not come to pass, but they remained in the power of Morgoth, and he being freed, gathered again all his servants that he could find, and came to the ruins of Angband, and there he delved anew his vast vaults and dungeons, and above their gates he reared the threefold peaks of Thangorodrim, and a great reek of dark smoke was ever wreathed upon them. There countless came, became the host of his beasts, and his demons, and the race of orcs bred long before, grew and multiplied in the bowels of the earth. Dark now fell the shadow on Beleriand. Beleriand is the place in Middle-earth where other elves live. As is told hereafter, but in Angband, Morgoth forged for himself a great crown of iron, and he called himself King of the World. In token of this, he set the Silmarils in his crown, his hand his hands were burned black by the touch of those hollowed jewels, and black they remained ever after. Nor was he ever free from the pain of the burning and the anger of the pain. That crown he never took off from his, took from his head, though the weight became a deadly weariness. Never but once did he depart for a while secretly from his domain in the north. Seldom indeed did he ever leave the deep places of his fortress, but governed his armies from his northern throne. 
and once also did he himself wield a weapon, while his realm lasted. For now, more than in the days of Otumno, ere his pride was humbled, he, his hatred devoured him in the domination of his servants and the inspiring of them with lust of evil he sent his spirit nonetheless his majesty as one of the valar long remained though turned to terror before his face all save the mightiest sank into a deep pit of fear i'll stop there for today on chapter 9. That is, in my copy, page 82. I have uh, the copy by Mariner with the mountain range on it. Thank you all so much for joining. This was a blast. Um, the VOD, uh, for those that got here a little late, will be up shortly. You can rewatch the beginning. Um, but as you know, um, this is when things have really started to pick up. This is the part I was hoping we would get a lot of people to, because once you get here, the story is just one amazing part after another, right? We've got so much to get through. Um, we will be back again next Sunday to uh, find out what happens in the flight of the Noldor. We will probably get through that part. Yeah, we'll probably get through the rest of Chapter 9 next time. 